Hi everyone, Anthony Fantano here, internet's busiest music nerd, you know who it is, and it is another episode here of the Needle Drop Podcast, where we interview content creators and artists from across the globe and the internet, and in this episode, our very special guest is ambient and experimental music producer, Mr. Tim Hecker. He produced my favorite album of 2013, Virgins, as you may already know, and he has a new album out now titled Love Streams, so I'm very excited to talk to him about this latest record and uh, anything else that kind of comes up in the midst of this conversation. Tim, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for caring, Anthony. Thanks for taking time out of your day to talk to me. Pleasure. No problem, and uh, and likewise. Um, all right, let's let's dive into the new record, which is out. Everybody can hear it. Everybody can listen to it. It's out on major streaming platforms, and people can purchase it in their local record stores and whatnot. Um, on on first impression. Uh, this latest record seems to have, uh, I don't know, a real strong note of warmth to it that I think your last two albums uh, didn't have, which were a little despondent, uh, I think a little apocalyptic in a way. Um, you know, was it a conscious decision to make an album that seemed a little bit, uh, <laughs> I guess, less foreboding in a way? Yeah, I would say it was like an intention to like use a paintbrush to like paint a bit of like a a rainbow or some kind of like horizon with unicorns versus, you know, some kind of nocturne type of setting, what I've maybe been more used to in the past. And I would say it was semi-conscious, but it was also unconscious. Like I was just at this point where I didn't, I wanted to avoid like overly, you know, making overly plotting music. And so this is kind of like a refrain or a pullback or something. And also, like, fragmentation, I was really into, like, trying to make works that were, like, you know, had some interconnectedness, but also seemed really disparate and disjointed and didn't make sense. Um, so I was, like, trying to wrestle with a bunch of things that were, um, you know, floating around my head at that point. Uh, is is disjointedness a word that you would use to describe some of your previous material? Because at, at least in my personal opinion, you know, Virgins and, and Rave Death, you know, your two most recents, um, th- they seem like pretty cohesive pieces with yeah. me. Uh, yeah, for so me. like I'm, um, I'm focused on trying to make cohesive like albums that work as a unity or whatever. At this point, I was actually hmm. like, well, like, how do you how do you make something that's a bit more fragmented? How do you make something that's a bit more jarring or like, has a bit more of a pastiche aspect to it. Um, you know, just collage of like black and white Xerox, Xerox kind of photocopies with like bright high definition overlays or just ways of thinking about things differently than integrity and unity and completedness and, you know, trying to make something that's a bit more disfigured a little bit. Um, yeah. Mm. When you're talking about your own art, which I mean, obviously is is auditory, uh, you, you throw in a lot of language that to me sounds almost visual or almost like uh, you're, you're making references to uh, to artistic studies like painting. Um, you know, is 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 painting and and color and uh, sort of uh, I don't know visual representations of the sounds that you're producing something that's in your mind as you're creating your music. I mean, it's something I really struggle with because on the surface it comes off as like super pretentious. Like music makers above the music industry uh, relies on visual metaphors to create his thing, and that's partly true, but it's also partly not. You know, I'm like, it's honestly like I really do come at it with these kinds of 
visual overlays and like I think about like you know what does white neon look like sonified or what does like a Richter squeegee painting look like as a musical composition and those are things that have given me as much uh, inspiration as my colleagues and friends and people working in music or whatever you want to call the sonic art. Stepping back, I do honestly still feel myself as part of a like um, a contemporary art milieu as much as I do music industry. Like I'm really not into defending any notion of how the music apparatus should work. Like I really dream of another state, which is not like words like merch, like I used earlier in an interview, would not exist. Like <laughs> I dream, I dream of the obliteration of the word merch, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> And also, like, a lot of my friends are just, like, visual artists as much as I'm friends with musicians, you know? And, like, I'm, I'm steeped in those discourses. Like, um, I studied art history. Like, those are just things that have always interested me. And I hopefully that comes off in an earnest way and it's not pretentious, you know? Because um, that's the truth of it, really, when you get down to it. Well, the, I mean, the the musical arts have just always had a very close history with, uh, especially the visual arts. I mean, especially in uh, the the modern music industry. I mean, just the album cover itself just kind of seems like something that is inseparable from the current day music world. You know, if you don't have an album cover slapped onto this yeah. uh, group of songs that you've put together, it's almost as if you didn't try hard enough or something. Yeah, just like, you know, like something like you look back at the early Philip Glass albums, like music for 12, uh, music in 12 parts. I can't remember exactly how it was. the cover was done by Sola Witt. You know, there's like a very much like a kind of downtown Manhattan like community that was like not segregated into discrete industries that for me is like really tedious. Like, um, I like that kind of weird interrelationships with people that do other things, you know, and getting inspiration from it. So, um, yeah, it's just like, it, it could be a deeper relationship in some ways than it is. It feels really superficial sometimes. Um, yeah. All right. Um, moving further into the instrumentation on this new record, uh, kind of one of the big to do's about what you're doing on this record instrumentally is that you have worked sort of a choral group into your pieces on this album and they, and they come up again and again throughout the piece or throughout the entire record. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about the incorporation of these vocals into your work and sort of, you know, where, where they were kind of driving the creative process. Um, they kind of came in as like an early idea um, that came up just like thinking about like what, you know, how to like, what's like the next like problem to solve or like what's the next object to create. And it was like, it came up through talking with my friend Ben, who I work with on a lot of my records, just to like approach vocals. And so I kind of started just by like working through choir pieces and writing um like really bright digital synth versions of these medieval choral works. And I, um, at some point, I brought in uh, Johan Johansson, who did some vocal arrangements off those early like pieces, and studio recorded everything together, and you know took that back to my studio and worked on it for a while. Like almost like pulling you know paint from a cave. I described it as like it's. You know, went back with these beautiful blues and brilliant titanium whites or whatever, and then just started, you know, working on these pieces and finishing them. Um, 
yeah. And uh, uh, you, you, you're talking about sort of bringing them in as like, oh, it's sort of a, a problem to solve or something to sort of, you know, figure out. Was was there a problem there that the vocals were kind of a solution to uh, with the music that no, you had I, been working I mean, on? Or? Like, I mean, problematic, like in a, like a philosophical sense, like, sure. like just an object of interest and concern, you know, like how the fuck would you deal with vocals? Like mm. I've avoided the voice because the voice is loaded with meaning and text and, and like focused things that I wanted all my work like cried to break free from. Mm. And so, you know, the earliest idea was like, let's try to reverse Latin. Let's try like vowel sounds. Let's try to be Iceland. Icelandic choirs, you know, like, how do you, how would you do that? And then the whole, like, question of, like, vocal treatments, like, how would you deal with the voice? Would you leave it bare? Would you um, obfuscate it so you, it doesn't even, you know, sound like it's a human at all? Mm. Um, you know, these are all the kind of questions that were, like, swimming to the head. And, you know, in the end, it kind of settled on some kind of pass-through that danced along these kind of ridge lines between, like, semblance and blurriness or whatever and meaning and not meaning you know just just ways of found piece of those like problems whatever you want to call it yeah it's it's uh it's rare that these days you sort of hear the voice used as like an abstract sound or piece of instrumentation as you would with um you know like a, like a violin or just any other uh piece of instrumentation i guess um, the, the point I'm trying to make, um, is that usually with Western music in, in terms of vocals, the voice is the carrier of, uh, the, the persona, the personality, the message. And now in your music that you're producing over here, the vocals are just kind of, uh, no more than just another piece of sound in the mix. They're not necessarily trying to give you a, uh, direct linguistic message or anything like that. Not to say that, you know, that's disrespectful of them in any kind of way, but it's just kind of refreshing to hear vocals in that way when they're just usually not treated that way in the modern age. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I'm not the first person to treat the voice in, in a way that like makes meaning unclear. I mean, there's been sure. junkies muttering in like, you know, rock music for, <laughs> you know, decades. And, you know, there's been like deep forms of like hymnals that, you know, muttering or kind of murmuring or whispering was also the way. So it's not like there's any new ground broken here. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm just, that was just something I was really interested in pursuing well the, the way the way that you had framed it earlier uh yeah sure i mean you know n no new ground broken uh okay i agree with that but it seemed almost as if the way you were kind of framing the introduction of these vocals it, it was almost as like uh it was a personal artistic challenge to yourself yes but in the end that's all it is in the end like the the pink and blue like cd or vinyl or mp3 is just you know just a document of you know, a few months of my life. And so a work that I made to like make peace with myself and like just try to make something that, you know, is an offering to the world. And if that was like something, uh, you know, that just made me content, maybe not exhilarated, but I feel like it was good enough that it wasn't a total failure. You know, it's like, it's good enough to go out into the world. Hmm. And that's and, all. That's all these documents. That's all these albums are. You know, it's just like a little piece of work. Hmm. 
Um, I, I want to kind of get back to the, the, the idea of music and, and painting later, because I think there's some interesting sort of comparisons that you can make between the two. But when you tour behind this material live, do you foresee uh, yourself incorporating live vocals into the set when you're playing this material? Honestly, uh, I, I did a concert I tried. Uh, I like workshop for vocalists mm. and um, had them walking around wireless headsets in the fog and it was like quite amazing thing it was like they were singing through like you know treatment chains that i had made and they were like walking amongst people in the audience and it was it was really fantastic but the logistics of like doing that like touring with five musicians is just not tenable like it's like literally it undermines one of the reasons you go out on the road is, which is to make a living like partly i mean obviously you do it through like perform and enjoy and meet people and things like that but it's not viable to like travel with that many people for me um mm. and meeting four singers in each town like the kind of Damo suzuki live jam kind of way um in purely improvisational it's just too much work i would say so for the time being i'm doing like just power instrumental versions of some of this music um i use some vocal treatments but it's going to be um more of a sledgehammer approach, I would say, for the most part. Hmm. Uh, all right. My, my next question is, uh, uh, you know, you're talking about this music kind of being a documentation of a few months out of your life, sort of creating something. And, uh, you know, you're also creating this music within a certain space, too. Uh, this is a third album, I believe, that you have recorded in Iceland. Is that correct? Or have you done more? Uh, yeah. I've done, I think, three. I mean, this, uh, you should say there's been, like, three that I've, like, recorded portions okay. of the nice one. Like, a lot of the time, like, I mean, this is, like, you're talking about a couple days out of a month or something that occurred yeah. there where the you know, studio sessions were done. <clears throat> For the most part, these records have been done in Montreal, and this one was finished in L.A., but a lot of, you know, the early sessions where I go to kind of break away, like, I... I'd go probably once or twice of a record, to, hmm. and they've taken place there, for sure. Well, I, I guess my question is, you know, what what kind of continues to make Iceland such a prime uh, location for you in terms of sort of recording at least your recent records? You know, I mean, is it a, a certain collaborators or resources over there, or is just kind of the yeah, area it's, it's over there the, like it's a... All a of the above. Mm. It's all of the above. It's like, first and foremost, it's friends. It's like people I work with and trust and enjoy and fight with and love and, and have vision with that, that makes, um, something interesting out of. Um, also, it's like one of the, you know, great, they have a really world class studio that I use and just everything is like, is very able and in quality. And see, it's like a place to get away where you remember what you're there for, you know? You, you're less prone to be on the internet half the day answering email and some, you know, kind of, you know, like, just distraction. It's like, it's all melted away. You're like, you remember after you go swimming in the pool or the hot spring, you're like, I'm there for music, you know, and, and it kind of forces you into writing and commit to something, you know? Like, you, you don't have infinite time. You can't do there for five years shoes i mean some people do but for me like i just want to i want to work for a while and then move on you know i don't want this like huge burden of like some unfinished mega project lasting 10 years 
Like in the mm. Peter Gabriel kind of way or something. Um, <laughs> you know, I like so, I like to get clean and cut my losses and move on and and stay lean and not you know have like intellectual or like work float. You know, where where things are just kind of like hanging there. So I like to go and just burn it hard and then like move on. Like it's um, been effective for me and that kind of setting really fosters that. Well, that, that's kind of an interesting look at your, I, I guess, your creative mindset and your creative process. I mean, uh, some some people do kind of thrive in the hustle and bustle of the the internet age and the information age, uh, but it sounds like you know you personally need some uh, separation from that. And also, uh, you know, it, it sounds like it may be difficult for you to work on something, then get distracted from it, and then kind of come back to it later with like the same kind of. Excitement. I mean, this music focus. is like less is no less internet mediated than any other like digital aesthetic music. I would say. I mean, I have like sure. you know, the reality is there's like iMessage popping up constantly, and like it's like fully. It's like I'm not unplugged at all. You know, it's like even though I don't like maybe use social media very aggressively, I'm like I, you know, am very much still like digital natives in terms of like my music production that like kind of came up with the internet in terms of the earliest forms of like crack software and I've been using it throughout and feel that like I definitely do um, try to like smooth over the digital edges of my music mm. like to confuse those like glossy spaces and make them a bit more scuffed sometimes but they do come from a very like computer driven medium, hundred percent drug, you know. Yeah, I, I suppose that's kind of the double-edged sort of making, you know, music that is sort of so synthetic in tone. You know, you're you have to depend on the devices that could simultaneously be a distraction away from your creative process. I suppose. Totally. Totally. So I don't like wish for any like pre-internet time or detached time that I'm unplug. You know, I do like to turn off airplane mode for like six hours at a time and just like totally go invisible. I, you know, I don't wish that it was the seventies or something. Or like I'm, I'm not nostalgic at all for what was lost. Really, I mean, you know, when your album leaks or whatever, that's not fun, and it does like make you think. I wish that didn't happen, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, you want to throw back to some golden age that we don't have anymore. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I'm like so fully against that kind of mindset. Uh, so artistically, do you, do you feel like it's at least important to your philosophy to continually be looking forward to the next uh, frontier of where music is going uh, in order to kind of, I don't know, get inspiration for what you want to do next then? That's a tough one. I don't really know, you know. It's kind of like, whether the art form is really predicated by, like, its absolute technological, like, avant-gardeness, right? Like, do you, you know, just go back to the visual culture. Yeah, there's, like, definitely, like, 3D type of artists who, like, really thrive off, like, the newest, like, textural spaces in which they model their, like, you know, objects in three-dimensional space or whatever. But, like, um, is it really that... I don't know. I, like, I question that kind of whole mindset, like, 
Like, do I need to follow um, the technological space? And the answer is I do personally. You know, like, I'm always, like, interested in, like, new tools. But I'm also really skeptical when I find those tools. I, like, ask, like, is that something better than the reactor plugin I had, like, seven years ago or whatever? Um, does it make my music better? Does it make working more streamlined and less cumbersome and bloated? And, like, the answer is not always clear, you know? Um hmm. But it doesn't work best when I use my old tools and I push them in different ways versus like trying to find a new interface or, um, you know, I don't know. It's a tough one. I mean, the answer is basically like I'm steeped in the world, you know, um, 100%. And like my taste for like 2016 pop music, basically. And, um, yeah, it's a tough one. I don't know, because I'm like a few months where I feel like, yes, like very much like interested in like envelope pushing in terms of tools. I'm a computer artist first and foremost. Um, but I also don't drink the Kool-Aid, you know, that um, some of these tools are always necessarily better, you know. Um, yeah. That's the tug of war I have in my own brain. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken with artists who see a great deal of potential in terms of their own creative processes uh, in stuff like, I don't know, <laughs> virtual reality glasses or something, and sort of yeah. thinking of ways where uh, they can sort of get people to appreciate or even experiment or experience, rather, their music in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise uh, by sort of feeding it to them through this other kind of platform, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the question of, like, you know, disseminating through multiple new emerging platforms is interesting. Um, but, you know, in the same way, I'm at two minds again where I'm like, you know, I express myself primarily through sonic medium, like through stereo or binaural ways of, like, entering music into your brain um, that resist generally audiovisual, like, pairing, you know, like, I do it, but I feel that it's also always um, arbitrary. Like, you know, forms of visual intermeshing with music like this could be of like a million things and they would all work and some of them wouldn't. And it's like, I like, I struggle with it. I don't have the answer, you know. I'm like, I was open. But mm. I don't really, I don't really dream along like platform lines. Like, I don't, I don't get excited about composing for virtual reality, like, um, you know, some type of like VR goggle or something. Hmm. I'm more about like the audio content of what would be made versus the apparatus it's deployed in. Um, yeah. I mean, that makes me sound, that makes me sound traditionalist, which <laughs> maybe is probably true, but also not, I would say. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's a point of view that I agree with, you know, I mean, personally, uh, music is my primary focus and, and I hate to see a project where it seems like all the effort was put into, I don't know, kind of the video game that was paired with the music and the music is just absolutely terrible. Um, you know, I would, I would, I would much rather just have a good album, you know, as opposed to like, I don't know, you put your album on an app or something and then or, you ask or, people to... or another way to put it is, is 
like how would the music stand on its own without the technological audiovisual crutch that you're left with, right? Like it's almost um, sometimes a uh, crutch that if you close your eyes and you just listen to the music and it sucks, that, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's not then that audiovisual pairing or that like platform is a, could be seen as a gimmick to um, facilitate underwhelming sonic art forms. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, so it's like, I don't know, I'd probably disagree with myself tomorrow, but that's what I feel right now. <laughs> okay. Um, l- let's move on and talk conceptually a little bit here about um, about ambient music, um, which is a term that is, is very often used to describe what you do. However, uh, I personally... Uh, you know, at least if we go by the definition that someone like Brian Eno lends to ambient music, um, it's very much background music. It's very much furniture music. But I, I feel like your music does have commonalities with what we know as ambient music. But I feel it personally to be engaging. I feel it personally to be very much uh, foreground music, you know, music that you're concentrating on, music that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily stuff in the background while you're exploring some kind of app or you have some kind of VR helmet on your head kind of playing you uh, all sorts of psychedelic colors to go along with uh, the audio that you've created. Yeah, I, I mean, I always, like, was kind of drawn by that description and it took great exception to it. You know, I was like, um, I like the idea of, like, you know, background objects that sit there and don't, that that act like Italian postmodernist furniture or something. And um, that's cool, but what about, like, in terms of when those objects are examined, like, focus, you know, like, close up, like, full field vision, um, how do you, how does, how does the work, you know, kind of hold up? And, you know, what's the musical equivalent of that? And I just thought, like, um, I was interested in, like, jacking up the intensity of, like, ambient music or something that, and accelerating it and making long-form mimetic pieces into increasingly short ADHD, like, kind of um, edits and things like that that um, segue into each other in, like, smooth and unsmooth forms. Um, like, partly collage, partly, like, you know, like, almost like, what if an insane clown posse juggalo person started, you know, playing with some ambient pads. I don't know, like, all these ideas, you know, like, why not, you know, and what would that be? And those things were more interesting to me. And at some point, I kind of became reactionary against ambient. Like, I'm not interested, even though, like, I, I make music that I, I listen to shit that's, like, anything from, I don't know, what do you want to call it, Nina's work through to, like, um, a lot of early German synth artists to like uh, different forms of deep space mind, you know, mm-hmm. um, that I enjoy myself, but I felt like I needed to do something slightly different or it's just like it wasn't enough to just like play a pad with a counterpoint that of a bass pulse or something. It needed some kind of compositional or something that just like would chop it in a different way or ma- amplify it or magnetize it into its like microscopic detail. I don't know. It's like something I've always struggled with and I haven't felt fully comfortable with that like classification or like that 
or interested in defending that as, you know, as my form of expression. Like, I've always felt out of that inner circle. Um, uh, another thing that I kind of want to ask you about this this album and just kind of your compositional process in, in relation to um, experimental music and in relation to uh, ambient music, um, w- what you're composing here just seems so abstract a lot of the time. You know, you're obviously not following your traditional verse, chorus, verse kind of structure. You're, you're actively working to kind of break away from that sort of thing a lot of the time. Um, yeah, or even, or even the idea that the composer sits there with, you know, paper and, uh, you know, sheet music and, and has an idea, writes it, and then it's performed or whatever, you know? It's like, that is a... Go on with your question, and I kind of jumped in. Yeah, okay, well, with that in mind, uh, how do you sort of, over the course of the compositional process, um, sort of decide exactly when you are done with a piece per se, you know, especially considering how vast and how formless, not completely formless, but, you know, uh, with your songs, with your compositions being abstract as they are, you know, there certainly is the potential to just kind of go on and on and on for however long as you like, really. Um, and, and what I've always kind of appreciated about your music is that, uh, for as abstract and, you know, again, for lack of a better term, uh, I guess as ambient as it is, um, it always seems very direct uh, in terms of uh, what it's trying to do compositionally. And, and as far as runtime as well, um, it, it seems like, you know, you really kind of have a focus as to what you want to get across sonically in your music. And it doesn't necessarily come off as uh, overly indulgent, um, especially in terms of just like the, the time at, 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 and length uh, that you put into your songs. Yeah, I mean... It's a tough question because basically, like, I'm interested in, like, uh, things that confuse me, things that make me need to listen to it four or five times to understand it. Those are the things that excite me. And I have been, you know, trying to do music that, like, adheres to that in some way that's, like, maybe from a deep distance looks really simple and then under closer and closer examination it kind of implodes or, or like, kind of like flank sideways so it's not clear um you know how that was made or you know just valuing things like distortion and overload or intensity or like physicality or you know um, confusing interior and exterior spaces or like digital reverbs and real spaces um instrumental confusion uh, a bunch of different things like that um would be you know things i've been interested in throughout and have kind of constantly pursued. Um, I don't know. It's a tough one. Um, um, does that get close to answering your question? Because I don't really know. You no, know, it's, 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 just, it's, you, it's just kind of interesting to hear you. Something, yeah, go yeah. On. Uh, well, it's it's just interesting to hear you bounce off of some of these ideas here. I mean, not that I expect, you know, completely just, you know, decided answer uh, uh, to that, you know, but just kind of uh, to get you to react to some of those ideas, because it sort of brings me back to the painting idea that I was going to bring up earlier. You know, you're talking about you enjoying music and enjoying the creation of music that uh, sort of has that disorienting property to it and has that kind of confusing property to it, which kind of makes you go back and listen to it and 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 look at it once again, um, which reminds me of 
just kind of the act of looking at or enjoying a painting, you know, when exactly are you done looking at a painting per se? You know, uh, I guess when you talk about I mean, most modern popular music. When, you, you ask the question when something's done, and that's like a, like a question you can't really teach or like pin down, you know, it's just like, that's like personal taste, and it's like something that I've always valued. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely like, personal taste. Endlessly but... not tinkering for you know endless because there's a point where like you can modify and perfect things, and you suck the life out of them. And I'm like you know I kind of come out of like um, you know noise rock world and things like that, or like you know, distorted, overloaded four track tapes. Like as a teenager, I was always into these rough kind of noisy things and. Um, I think I still kind of keep some semblance of that in my work uh, where you can make everything like perfect and like add 400 layers of chamber strings or whatever. Um, there's a point where like the 300 like becomes the death knell of that piece, you know? Um, <laughs> but 299 is the perfect amount. I don't know. It's like it's something you can't really pin down and put your finger on, you know? It's like, just got basically in the end, I think. Oh, I mean, again, absolutely. It, it totally comes down to personal taste. You know, just kind of the weird thing in the case of music is that uh, it's almost as if the runtime of whatever you're listening to is implying to you when you're going to be done listening to it. You know, uh, you could always start it over again, but, you know, you can't sort of sit there at one single point in the song and just kind of enjoy that one moment forever. I mean, it's going to pass you by at the pace that it's going to pass you by. And the only way that you can kind of relive it is to sort of put the whole song on again. Hmm. That would be an interesting form of listening where people could just loop some 20 second thing and extend that into infinity, you know, or Hmm. a bit more of an engaged form of playback, um, which would be really great actually. So if they feel like there's some zone, but I often like have like a chord movement that some artist makes and I'm like, Jesus, that's amazing. Like they should have done like fifteen phrases of that and yet it disappeared the second it arrived. Hmm. And it's like an interesting question of like ways of listening and playback and just appreciating music. And it goes back to like as early as like Glenn Gould in the sixties imagined this form of uh, home listening where the listener would sit and splice tape on his own and create like new fragments out of you know possible music pieces that were being performed or whatever hmm. I mean it's kind of like a similar thing I guess it's kind of a a, a problem that something like minimalism kind of finds the solution to you know if you like this one particular sound if you like this one particular idea uh here it is in this musical piece that kind of you know repeats an idea to infinity with very minimal progressions from the beginning to the end um trying to i guess explore this one single sort of concept and and that's something that definitely in you know influences what you do correct i mean you know uh i'm sure there are minimalist composers and producers who who you find a lot of uh uh I guess, uh, uh, who you get a lot from, you know, uh, in terms of inspiration or just enjoyment. Yeah. Like I'm really into certain forms of repetition that like sound like incantations that seem like shamanistic trance that seem like, um, forms of like psychedelic dissolution of the self, you know, versus obvious forms of repetition that seem like a four bar, like computer software, just repeating something banal. And it's like hard to like, you know, um, it's hard to put your finger on what those forms of repetition are like 
transcendental and what are like merely like the machine just repeating in this like lifeless way. And it's it's a tough one. But yeah, I'm like definitely I come out of like minimalism in some ways, like part of one of the streams of things that I'm interested in is like early forms of deep, like uh, hypnotic overloaded repetition that was almost religious before it became like kind of like almost the veneer of capitalism or something that it did in the eighties or nineties. Um, yeah. And for you personally, I, I guess, you know, I sort of, a. a it's it's an interesting point you just made there because uh, you know you're talking about making synthetic music making electronic music where you could just easily have the machine repeat sort of whatever you punch into it very easily uh but you're trying to create i guess more of an organic experience with these machines essentially is sort of uh what you're talking about you know how do you kind of make sure that that uh, human touch comes through in what you're doing, even though you're using sort of uh, uh, a yeah, synthesized I'm really, sound. I'm not really interested in. I'm not really interested in defending like human touch. So there's a refrain overhead. Um, I'm not really interested in like defending like humanity and, and notions like that. Mm. Like um, I don't really care so much like using tools or like coldness or like inhumanness. Like I I use machines. I repeat things using like tools. And I do, like, use a bunch of different approaches. And, like, I would say sometimes, like, I do like to confuse that, like, whatever you want to call human touch versus inhuman. And I like to, you know, like, one of the things, like, I asked these singers in this album was to, like, pretend you're, like, dead or Mm. pretend you're a robot, you know, and just, like, what would that be like, you know? Um, I don't know how human, like, whatever you want to call the human is constituted in that, but it's, like, hopefully, um, hopefully an interesting take on it. I don't know. Because for me, whenever someone says, like, humanity, I just think of, like, the National Geographic, like, or some, um, uh, you know, Gaia type of, we are the world. I don't know. Well, okay. It, it seems like the way that you're explaining it, you know, you don't want to yeah. pin your art down to something as kind of defined as humanity or something with as much baggage as humanity. Yeah. You, you would much rather it be kind of more abstract than that. Yeah, just playful. You know, a, play, mm-hmm. a, a zone of play that um, opens up a third space, a third sex, whatever, um, a degendered space. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of things that I want to get out of that I find norm zone. I use capitalism in a while, but like just spaces that are, are free and liberated and playful um, mm. to me are important. I don't know if I succeed in making my music like that, but you know, that's what I aspire to. All right. I want to thank my guest, Tim Hecker, for coming on and talking about uh, not only his creative process, experimental and ambient music, and his latest record, Love Streams, which we will link you to down there in the description box. Tim, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on and just be really open about about all of this and just talking about your music. Can I call you Tony? (laughs) You can call me Ant. Ant. Okay. Really nice to meet you. Pleasure. (laughs) <laughs> and for sure, it was, it was a nice challenge. <laughs> All right, have a good one, man. Cool, dude. Thanks, All right, boss. great. Have a good day.